What is going on? Welcome to Off the Bench, Danny Cannell and Rajah Bell. I am back after being out a couple days. I have a travel schedule that is just an absolute nightmare this week, Rajah. Like I've been all yeah. over the place. I'm Where have you been? In Texas. Oh. So I started off the week. I started off the week in Tallahassee. Did the Tallahassee Quarterback Club spoke to them. Got to speak to practice. Uh, talk to the players the other day. So okay. Florida State better go two and zero to finish the season because they're going to be so pumped up from my little speech that right. I gave. They're going to be right. fired up. Uh, and then now I'm in Denton, Texas. And then tomorrow I'm actually headed to Orlando for the UCF Cincinnati game, which is a huge game this weekend. So I'm like all over the place. So I know but, some of the people have been a little bit frustrated. Like, what's our schedule? Like, we've been off. It'll get smoother next week. Like, as we just kind of get back on. A normal routine but i've been out a little bit so yeah, hopefully you miss good. me man it's all good i miss you uh we've been holding it down in your stead better you than me on all that traveling man i i really don't love traveling like yeah this, so. i don't too much facetime with the kids but we got a big show we're gonna break it down we're gonna have our boy emory hunt he's gonna come on help us break down all the games this weekend we'll do a little nba a little nfl we got you covered welcome to off the bench with danny cannell Raja Bell. Bell has done It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right. So welcome to Off the Bench. We got our boy LeBron James had an incredible night against uh, the Portland Trailblazers. He goes off in that game, had a monster night. But most importantly is where he falls on this career uh, scoring list. So he keeps on going. His career accolades continue to get up there in that conversation with rarefied air where he passes Wilt Chamberlain at 31,419 points. He only has a few hundred or a couple hundred, uh, about 1,200 more to go to catch Michael Jordan, which if everything goes according to plan and he kind of maintains the scoring average of 26 a game and doesn't miss any games, he should pass Michael Jordan in late January. And it gets to that point, Rajah, for me, where it's great and it's all this stuff, but it's just you can't really still assess this until his whole career is said and done. But it looks like he's going to get Kareem as the all-time leading scorer, which will make his conversation even stronger, his argument to be the greatest ever even stronger. Uh, yeah, look, this is a, it's a huge accomplishment. Um, you know, but what, what would solidify him as, as the greatest ever, or at least get him like squarely in the conversation with MJ would be the rest of these, um, all-time records that he's going to be chasing the next few years. You know, he'll be up there for assists and, and, um, and some others. And, and, and obviously continuing to add to that legacy with championships, if he can do that in LA would get him squarely in the conversation. But the scoring thing, you know, it's remarkable because it's not even, you know, his favorite thing to do on the court. It's not even what he's best at. And he's, he's remarkable at it. Uh, but really he's a naturally super gifted passer and he had to develop into this guy that could score and, you know, Quite frankly, I guess when you're, when you're, when you're blessed with 6'9", 255, you're gonna get your fair share of points, but it is pretty remarkable that he's up there on that list and it's not even like probably the best part of his game. I rec- I actually, you know, watching the Lakers, and I know we're not supposed to really dive into the Lakers right now, but I kinda like the direction they're headed in and ob- yeah, it's obvious cause their record's better, but I like that they're settling down and LeBron is starting to kinda command the offense. You know, the, when he goes places sometimes, there's this initial period of like uncertainty as to what everyone's job is. And LeBron, you know, to his credit, is pretty good about kind of laying back, letting guys feel like, you know, they are his equal to some degree and it will be, you know, an, an equal share of opportunity here for everyone. But that's usually not how they wind up playing down the stretch when they turn into the really good team. It becomes LeBron's ball. And he's starting to do that now. The timing, you know, it took a minute, but he's starting to kind of, you know, grab the reins of that offense and things are flowing through him. And I think everything looks better because of it. Not to mention that they're better defensively. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, that's why you and I have both been on the same page. Like, yeah, it's been a rough start, but it's going to be a process. I mean, if you start slow when you have the, you know, when you come to the heat and you have the big three get together with Chris Bross and Dane Wade, and that starts off kind of slow. When he went back to Cleveland the second time around, that started kind of slow. And those rosters were better with a little more talent around him. So, of course, it's going to be a process. That's why I don't understand, like, why people get all fired up and say, oh, you know, maybe we should do, what are we going to do with Luke Walton? Like, give it a minute. Got it turned around. They're in the seventh spot right now as far as the playoff race goes. And I totally agree with you. I know you guys talked about Draymond and Kevin Durant uh, earlier this week, but I do think that there was something that kind of went under the radar a little bit. I think that opens up the door for Kevin Durant to leave the Warriors and have it be just like, hey, it's not working here. I don't, like... I, Draymond is 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 too hard on me. I don't even know if you have to say all that, but just there's some strain in the relationship where now it opens the door for KD to go to play with LeBron in the Lakers, which I think would be the best case scenario for the NBA. I know if you're saying, all right, if he goes to the East, maybe he has a chance, but if you break up the Warriors and you have him join LeBron, I think it could help both their legacies because the Lakers would need him to put it over the top. It's not like he's joining a super team. It would be a team that was kind of up and down this season. And you go join LeBron, then all of a sudden you can add a championship to your legacy. LeBron can get one to him potentially. And then it works out both for both of them. Do you do you think that could open up the door for that? So I think you're right and I think you're wrong, right? Like I think <laughs> uh, if I'm reading the tea leaves, I don't think Kevin Durant stays in Golden State. Uh, but right. I thought that that would have probably been the case before this this uh, altercation with Draymond. They've always had a really weird relationship. There are multiple like YouTube videos of those dudes getting into it on the court. This one just happened to boil over. Draymond Green, Green couldn't contain himself, and he started saying what was really on his heart. I think the other ones were kind of superficial. This one got deep, and those cuts, like th- those are deeper cuts, obviously. And so I, I think it doesn't help the situation, but KD, uh, I think, was probably gone anyway. Where I think you're wrong is I don't think he goes to L.A. I don't. I think Kevin Durant has always had this beef. I think there was a Sports Illustrated article on it maybe five years ago about him being sick of being second fiddle to LeBron. And while we'll always probably look at LeBron as the better overall player, it doesn't really matter at this point kind of what Kevin Durant does in terms of on the court. LeBron's bigger, he's stronger. You know, KD shoots better, but most people would say LeBron the best. But where KD could be better than him is in like championships overall. And I don't know that KD would want to add to LeBron's championship total. I think he wants to surpass LeBron. So going there and splitting them, I don't I don't know that he's I don't know that that would be what he wants to do. I have no reason to to like I, I have no insight on it, but I think if I'm reading what he said in the past, he'd probably want to go somewhere and win championships without LeBron and try to surpass him uh, in the championship total. Yeah, I I definitely think he's out on the Warriors though. I think there's just too much tension there. But I do you think this is potentially cuz I think dynasties over the history of time, if you look at all the great ones, it's not necessarily another team that brings them down. It comes from within. Is there enough tension in that locker room where you could potentially see them stumble or is it just they have too much talent where it's cuz I mean, don't forget Boogie Cousins haven't even really gotten in the mix here and yeah. he's the guy that you thought could potentially mess with that chemistry. Do you think it's enough to potentially derail their season or there's just too much talent? No, I think it's too much talent. I don't, and I, I think those guys will figure it out. They, they've played with this relationship for, for as long as he's been there. Like, I don't, I don't think that this will stop them from winning a championship this year. Plus, you just touched on Boogie. Like, he's fantastic. People forget how good he is. They will be so uber talented that the only thing that derails that for me is some kind of catastrophic injury that would severely change the chemistry and the way they play the game. Um, so no, I don't think it, but, it would affect them this year, but it will affect them long term. And you start to see some, you know, you start to see some fractures in relationships. You start to see some, some guys that, 
you know, it, it guys naturally want more. Like when I first made the NBA, Danny, like I came out of the CBA and I told anybody who would listen, man, if they would just let me, you know, be the water boy, uh, you know, I'd be happy to be there. And I was, when I first got there, I was the biggest cheerleader the Sixers had. Like I, you know, I just wanted to be there. I wanted to be a part. And then you're in practice every day and you're in your competitor comes out and you want a little more. And I'm like, Hey, you know, I want to get on the court and practice. And so then I got on the court and practice and then it was like, Hey, I want to get on a game. And you know, you just want more. It's human nature. And so all those personalities in that locker room, you'd be naive to think that some of those guys, the ones that aren't Steph Curry with, you know, the golden child, some of those other guys, they want more. And you're, you're going to start to see that it, it, you know, it's a testament to how good the culture is in Golden State and how good Bob Myers and Steve Kerr are that they've kept it together for so long. But yeah, I think, you know, the natural progression is for those guys to, to kind of fall out of love with the situation at some point. I don't know when it is. Um, and that will be the end of the dynasty. All right. So you weren't like campaign, were you, when you first got there, like just happy to be there and go do your dance routine warmups where, you know, you no, wanted I, to play. Uh, no, you, no, I wasn't, cl- I wasn't a clown. I, I'm not a clown. <laughs> I'm not clowning like that, but point, like I was happy to be there and be in support. You know what I mean? Like it didn't rub yeah. me the wrong way that I didn't play right away. After a while, it started to. All right, just making sure. I didn't, no. I didn't picture you in that role as the pregame dance hype guy. I pictured you as a guy no. who wanted to get in and be uh, a dog. All right, on. let's look at Jimmy Butler because he goes, makes his debut with the Sixers. You know, they lose in a game against the Magic, and I think, you know, some people are going to look at it and say, all right, you know, it wasn't as smooth as you lot, but Markel Fultz actually played better coming off the bench where maybe that's a good role for him where he's been this, you know, had this mental hang-up with his shooting form. Maybe that takes some of the pressure off him. And Butler, he played 33 minutes. He had 14 points. How long before you think he can kind of – be an integral part of this offense and where they can actually, you know, be just normal, where there's not these kind of hiccups that you're having a new guy on the floor with you. Yeah, I don't know how long it takes. I mean, a couple weeks probably. You know, it's like it's like an NFL player when you talk about the playbook and only giving him certain packages if he's just been there for a week when you've traded for him. I mean, that's essentially what Jimmy did last night. They ran a few plays for him. You could see that they were trying to force the ball to him down the stretch to get him a bucket, and it was kind of disjointed offensively. Overall, he got less touches than he's used to getting. I mean, he only had 41 touches, which was a season low. Um, that's to be expected. And and quite frankly, I think Jimmy played it the right way. Like, you know, he still had, what, he had 14 points. He was 6-12, to 12, so he was relatively efficient. Um, you don't want to go in there and start demanding the ball and throwing off everybody else's chemistry because of your attitude. If that happens because coach is going to play you, then that's just kind of natural when you're bringing a guy into a situation like that. But you don't want it to be like your ego and your style that throws everything off. And so I think Jimmy's playing it the right way. Go in, fit in for a while, give it a few weeks, let coach figure out and the other guys figure out what your game looks like, how they can kind of fit you into what they want to do. And then you start to kind of start hitting your stride as an offense. Defensively, though, um, I, I didn't think they were great. But I think that's where they have the most room for growth with Jimmy Butler because it makes them really, really flexible in terms of all the stuff they can do, switching um, and, and, and playing pick and roll and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, zero points in the fourth quarter. I think those are the spots where it gets a little bit trickier of like, hey, how much do you really want to own the ball? Do you want to be the guy taking the last shot? And it takes time to figure out who, you know, who guys' roles in that spot. And yeah, I think they'll to, be fine once they figure it out. You have to, you just um, have to define those roles. That's all. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's look at the NFL because Le'Veon Bell was huge news. He doesn't show up. He's sitting out for the year. And there was a video that went around uh, yesterday that was kind of, I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Some people were bothered by it. So Le'Veon Bell clearly not on the team. He's not going to be there. So Those what occurred was 
a bunch of players start going through his locker because he's got a bunch of swag in there. He's got some sweet cleats. He's got uh, CDs. Yeah. Uh, he's got T-shirts. He's got all kind of gear. So they're going through it, and it's on video. They knew it was on video, and there was there was like an equipment guy trying to box some of it off. Linebacker Bud Dupree like grabbed a couple pair of cleats that were Jordan cleats that were pretty sweet. He was like, "Thanks, man." And uh, I just. I thought it was hilarious. Like, I thought this is part of the business that people just don't understand. And, like, some people are like, oh, they violated his personal space. And I'm like, you guys just don't get it. If you don't think that's funny, then you just don't get what it's like to be on a part of a team. Did yeah. You, you, do you have any issue with it? No, dude. You don't. You clearly don't understand locker room culture if you had a beef <laughs> with that. Guys are always, always looking at other people's lockers trying to figure out if you could get some of that cool stuff that's in there. Um Yeah, like, the the white and black 11s. I think they're 11s of patent leathers. You got to forgive me because I don't know all the Js anymore. They were fire. Like, those are cool. But those yellow and blacks, those yellow and blacks were nasty. And so, it, yeah, look, Kepe Mutombo at the end of every season will come around, and when you're clearing out your locker, now Dikembe would do it for philanthropic reasons. He'd, he'd have you box up anything you didn't want. All the new pairs of shoes that you weren't going to wear, and he would send them um, to like his youth academies in Africa and stuff like that. You're talking about hundreds of pairs of shoes. And generally speaking, you'd go around, like if I wanted something that, uh you know, I don't know, Aaron McKee had in his locker, I'd be like, yo, Blue, are you wearing those this summer? Let me, let me get my hands on those. Like that's, it's what you do. I think Le'Veon Bell, wherever he was, would have probably had a good laugh at it. Now, you like when I watched the Ben Roethlisberger sound, and he was saying that he uh, he texted Le'Veon Bell that day, and he asked him if he was coming in, and then Le'Veon didn't show up, and Le'Veon didn't text him back. Like, there's clearly some personal issues with some of those guys in in Pittsburgh, but I didn't see them raiding his locker as being a big deal. Or do you think Le'Veon just maybe not the text right way back? Like maybe he's a guy who takes some time. It's like I because I thought I saw that, and I wondered what people would think of that too. And I think it was blown out of proportion just a little bit. Like, how do we know Le'Veon didn't text him back later that night? Like, maybe Le'Veon was trying to get on his, you know, who knows what he was doing. Maybe he was just busy and couldn't text Ben right away back while he was at practice. So I do think there's a little bit of uh, tension there between Le'Veon and his old teammates. But ultimately, I think they'll all laugh about this. And I think he'll probably text back Ben Roethlisberger tonight or, you know, today. And he'll say, hey, thanks for reaching out to me. So I don't think it was that big of a deal. Like, I, But I do remember, like, guys, the thing that I always looked for and was hilarious was the guys that got cut who wanted their locker actually their space if it was a good spot in the locker room and like guys were fighting over it as soon as the cuts came down like guys are racing over to get the best locker spot because some are better like they're closer to a tv or like closer to the training room or they might have a good spot so guys are like fighting over that like you're quickly forgotten about as soon as you get cut you're like gone you're see it see you later yeah maybe that's an nfl thing because nba locker rooms are usually like laid out when you get there like your 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 equipment guy or whoever it is they know and they figure it out like there's a pecking order but you kind of fall in and they give premium like real estate according to where you fall on that depth chart so it's not really a scramble uh if a guy gets cut um that was trying to make the team or something like that you really don't think though that there's some personal beef between those dudes i mean i know it's business and i know yeah like i figure if he comes back to play at some point they're able to say hey that was just Le'Veon trying to handle his business let's get back to playing football but when he decides not to play with you all at all that season you don't think that there's some real personal beef there with some of those guys I do I think the biggest beef will be the guys that commented on his contract in that first couple weeks when he was out remember there were a couple offensive yeah. linemen that said you know hey it's 14 and a half million dollars he should be here playing with us right. I think that will be the bigger beef and that but I think they'll clear the air like guys just are able to get past it but wherever Le'Veon goes I think the first time he plays the Steelers, you'll see a guy playing like 
the dude in Fast Times at Ridgemont High when, you know, he was pissed off at the team. They, they <laughs> right, took right, his right. own car and messed it up. Right, and went right. after him. It'll be like that. Like, he'll have a, a chip on his shoulder and he'll try to run all of the Steelers to prove him wrong. But I think in the big picture, what's the most fascinating thing about this is what happens with Le'Veon Bell. Because Le'Veon, well found, uh, Le'Veon Bell found a loophole that no one knew was possible. Like, no one ever thought that you could... And it was funny because it was kind of misreported by everybody, like ourselves included. When we talked about it, we're like, week 10, he's got to come back or it doesn't get a season accrued. Now that people know you can take this approach and you can sit out a year and then become basically a true free agent or take the $25 franchise tag, I think it's going to be interesting to see how do the owners react to this? Like, does another team say, sure, no problem, we don't mind, we'll take him, we'll spend the, the money that, you know, the Rams spent on Todd Gurley, we'll give him the $45 million guaranteed, or is there any sense of the owners not liking the way this went down and colluding somewhat and saying, no, we can't have a player who has this much power in wielding it, and so we're not gonna, we're not gonna pay him that big bucks, we're not gonna pay him that big contract. My hunch, some, it only takes one team to like him and to give him that money. My hunch is that some team will, you know, pay him the money that he's looking for. But I think it could get interesting, like as soon as free agency hits. And it's also because of the position he plays. And you yeah. watch what James Conner did and he's putting up just as good numbers. Maybe people look at it and they say, well, how good is Le'Veon if they're doing the same things without him? So I think it's going to be a big story and there's going to be some really like interesting offshoots that we learn about the NFL as we watch the way this plays out in this offseason when free agency hits. Um, first of all, I want to give a shout out to a young Forrest Whitaker in that role in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Like that, I, <laughs> yes, that was seriously, that's right. right? It's pretty cool. Yep. Um, secondly, um, I do think one of those teams will sign him, uh, to the deal or a deal that is, that is palatable for him. I don't know that he's going to get ultimately what he wanted, but you're at a point now where teams now have some leverage, right? And to the collusion like theory, You'd be naive not to think that NFL owners, NBA, they will collude. I mean, they, they, they will. They, they've done it. Now the problem is there's no honor amongst thieves, right? So all it does is take that one guy to step out of line and throw him the money. And now, you know, you got a bidding war, but you saw it happen with Colin Kaepernick. Like that's, it's a real thing. They will collude on your behind in a heartbeat. And if it changes severely the dynamic, like the power balance, you know, those guys aren't used to billionaires aren't used to being dictated to. So you get one guy step out of line and it opens up Pandora's box for other guys to start dictating to where they start looking at it like, oh my God, these guys are going to have power like NBA players. Don't be naive to think NFL owners won't collude against his butt. Yeah, I love the fact that the players actually found one little loophole that they could potentially shift the power just a little bit because the NFL players have so little power. I'm yeah. glad they found something and I hope it works out. I hope Le'Veon gets paid. Like I want all the players to get as max, maximize as much as they can. Still be really tough for me to sit out for 14 and a half mil. I don't know if that's Oof. just me speaking, but all right, let's move on because we got to get our guy Emery Hunt. He's going to make some picks for the weekend. He's been on fire lately. Uh, 12 and three, uh, in one the last three weeks. He's on a hot streak. So we'll see if he can keep it rolling. Uh, coming up next on Off the Bench. is absolutely on fire crushing it 12 three and one in the last three weeks his overall record with us right here on off the bench is 27 19 and three just cruising it like just cruising he's got feeling good about his raging cajun they're having a good year like it's all flowing for emory all right emory let's start it off syracuse versus notre dame at yankee stadium notre dame's a 10 point favorite i think that syracuse wins the game outright who do you like in this game 
I can agree with you there because of big game Dino Babers. This is the type of game where he gets his team ready to play the best game possible. They could probably beat the Giants that day, how he's going to have these guys fired up, ready to go. Plus, in all seriousness, we don't know how healthy Ian Book is, and that heavily favors Syracuse, in my opinion. So lay all the points with Syracuse. All right, we got NC State at Louisville. Uh, NC State's laying 16 and a half. Sometimes that, that dog, if they're fired their coach, and I think Louisville just fired Bobby Petrino, they'll have that bounce back game where they look revived. Uh, you got NC State with the points, or are you taking Louisville? I, I like NC State with the points in this one. I agree with you. You know, when you fire a coach, the team can come out inspired, but I think in Louisville's case, that's only going to last about a quarter before talent takes over, and NC State's going to roll in this one. All right, I have a bit of bad news for you, Emery, because I actually like we're on the same page a little too much, and I'm thinking, like, that's bad for you. It's bad You've been for on Emery. Fire. I have not. Yeah, exactly. But let's keep it moving. So UAB, Bill Clark's been a fantastic story, the success he's had there uh, at University of Alabama, Birmingham. They've having a great year. They play a power team from the Power 5 Conference in Texas State, uh, te- uh, College Station playing Texas A&M. They're a 17-point underdog. Who do you like in this one? I like UAB in this ball game. Take U, UAB in the points. I think a lot of people are not talking about enough the great defenses that are being played at the group of five level. You got the fighting Rajah Bells playing great defense. You got UAB, <laughs> Cincinnati. You also have Fresno State, Utah State, and Boise State playing great defense. UAB's defense will be the story coming out of this one. Trey Crawford, an outstanding linebacker. I think they can keep this one very close against AM. Boy, the fighting Raja Bells. I'm lobbying for that. I'm going to the next board of trustees meeting. Um, anyway, let's move to the NFL. We got the Cowboys at the Falcons. Uh, Falcons minus three and a half. You pick the Cowboys. Cowboys coming off a big win. Yeah, and you look at the Falcons getting beat in every facet of the game last week against Cleveland. Let's toss that one out the window. But when you look at this matchup, I think it's going to be the Cowboys defense against that Falcons offense, slowing down that Falcons offense enough where the Cowboys offense will be the direct beneficiary of those added possessions. I think they can roll in this one. All right, how about the Philadelphia Eagles? They've been struggling a little bit this season. They're on the road in New Orleans. The Saints are a heavy favorite at nine points. Feels like a must-win game for the Eagles. Who do you like in this one? I would say lay the points with the Saints in this one with a little caveat. The Saints, when they play big games like this, spotlight games, they're going to come out the gate swinging all kind of wild bolos and things of that nature. They're going to come out firing. And then they'll let the team right back in the game to make it a game to in order to blow them out late. So I think the Saints will cover. It'll be close. It'll be a 10-point game. Saints will win, though. All right. So you like the Saints there to cover. Good stuff, Emory, as always. Good luck on all these picks, man. Keep crushing it. Thanks, guys. All right. Let's move on a little college football talk, Raja, because the uh, rankings were released Tuesday night. I wasn't on the show, so we didn't get to react to them. Right. No movement in the top 10 spots, which is the first time it's happened in the playoff era just because it was kind of coasting. All the favorites won. There was no shakeups and low it was one of those quiet weekends where everybody's like, oh, maybe we get a shakeup. It did not happen. So I don't have really any beef. I mean, I don't love LSU at seven as a two-loss team. I don't love Georgia at five as a one-loss team. But ultimately, they're not that big of a deal. Where I have a problem is where you go deeper than that. And first of all, I think UCF should be higher. I think they should be at the very lowest. I think they should be at nine. And I would love if they were given a little bit more credit and could move up in that top eight spot, which I think would make it more interesting. But... You cannot tell me that the Florida Gators are the 13th best team in the country with three losses at a couple ugly ones. They lost to Missouri, got spanked. Their quarterback is really struggling. And Kentucky, Kentucky 
is at 17, which is an absolute joke. And again, it shows you the love affair that this committee has with the SEC. And it's not, I hate to bash on this because I've been pegged as such this SEC hater, but it's ridiculous the amount of love they get from the committee. And they're good. The SEC is probably the best conference in college football right now, but they're not so much where they just get these rankings that are off the charts where they're just so overranked but it has this circular vicious cycle where they play each other and it's like oh well you know you lost to kentucky it's not that bad of a loss uh you know and if you get beat up by somebody it's not that big of a deal because it was a top 25 team it's over the top the amount of love that the uh, the committee is showing uh to the sec it really is and i have no beef with alabama at one they're, they're the best team in college football it's you know clemson is nipping on their heels but it's they're securely in that one spot to me, it's about the rest of the top 25 and just the blind love that the committee has for the SEC. Yeah, I'm not going to hate on anything you said. Uh, LSU is a little too high for me as well with two losses. Like, I think that's just, you know, you got to use some common sense there. Nobody else in there has two losses and they haven't been playing their best football lately. And I agree with you as you get further down the top 25 list. And if you're going to, if you're going to have that bias towards the SEC, um, while we can all agree, like, you know, Georgia and Bama are, are, are placed appropriately, but if you're gonna, you know, kick the lower half of that division up into like, uh, up into the top 25, it, it, it's hard to ever drop the teams out because they're just losing the top 25 teams over and over again. So I agree with you completely. Right. They keep losing to each other. So it's this vicious cycle of, well, it wasn't that bad of a loss or right. it was a great win because it was a top 25 team. So it drives me nuts the way it works and the way it unfolds. And it's just this. And then then the conversation becomes, all right, well, if Bama, because we're, we're starting to potentially see some of these scenarios. And I hate the fact that it's already being discussed. It's well, if Bama loses to Georgia in the SEC championship game, that because it would be a loss to a fifth, you know, the team that's currently fifth. And if they were still there, that Bama should still get in if they lost the SEC championship game. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. How can you reward somebody for a loss and give them a buy, an automatic bid to the playoff after they lost their conference? Like, if they're that good, and I think Bama is that good, but if they're that good, they should beat Georgia. And if they don't beat Georgia, maybe we were all wrong about how good uh, Bama was, so they should be penalized, just like every other team that would get penalized for a loss. So... I don't like the way the conversation is going. Hopefully, I am just hoping on all hope that the, that the committee has things resolved for them on the field. Because if it's up to them and they do this eye test and they go out there and they compare these resumes, I hate when that happens and there's a team that gets screwed over. I hope it clarifies itself and, you know, the kind of five, the four best conference champions get in. Because if it doesn't, I think it's bad for college football if you start just giving teams free passes into the playoff just because they pass an eye test. Yeah, uh, you might have to find somebody on that committee and to use an Emoryism, start throwing some bolos. Hey, it's been a long time since <laughs> I heard bolos. I don't think it's ever been on this show, but I hear you, bro. I'm, I'm with you 100%. All right. Let's take a break because we got to get Ryan Wilson on. He's our NFL writer and draft expert. He's going to help us break down the, uh, the mock draft. I think there's some surprises in there, including who the Giants would take with their top pick next year. I was kind of shocked at who we had. We'll talk to him next and off the bench. Welcome back to our Off the Bench. Let's get in our guy, Ryan Wilson. He's our CBS Sports NFL writer and he's our draft expert. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Ryan Wilson CBS. All right, so I think there is a potential great thing happening in Baltimore because the best thing that could happen to that organization is Joe Flacco is out and they can start looking for the future <laughs> with Lamar Jackson. But they have one Robert Griffin on the squad, too. Do you think the Ravens, with Flacco dealing with this right hip injury, do you think they should go ahead and start Lamar? Are you with me on that? 
Oh, 100%. I, I don't know what the upside is in returning to Joe Flacco. He's been there since 2008. We know what he has. There is no more ceiling for him. He has reached the ceiling. And uh, it's clear that Lamar Jackson and Joe Flacco don't want to be on the field at the same time. We've seen them sort of give passing glances at each other as Joe Flacco refuses to throw him the ball when he's wide open. Lamar Jackson doesn't want to run routes. He doesn't want to be a wide receiver. And I think if the plan is to make this offense better, you have to get Lamar Jackson out there. Our buddy Jason Lockenford did some research the other day, and he found that when Lamar Jackson is uh, under center, they average 4.7 yards per carry, which will be 10th in the league. When Flacco's out there running the football, they're 2.7 yards per carry, which is dead last, and it's not even close. So the offense needs a jump start. They're playing a terrible team in Cincinnati who can't stop anyone. Then they have games against Oakland and Atlanta, teams where Lamar Jackson can have some success against truly other truly terrible defenses. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to me if you drafted this guy in the first round last year. You want him to be your franchise future. You don't seem to have very much faith in Joe Flacco. Why this wouldn't be the perfect opportunity coming out of a bye to get him out there and see what happens. What's the worst uh, that can happen? You lose the football game. Ryan, are there any concerns? Because you've seen Lamar. It's been in really limited packages so far when he when he is under center to support kind of those numbers. So, like, if you were going to see him for the length of a game, how much do they have to change the DNA and what they want to do offensively? Yeah, that's the thing. I think the good news is you can run the ball with him out of uh, exotic packages that you clearly couldn't do with Joe Flacco, and you have a running game behind them with Buck Allen and, and Alex Collins, and they tra- traded for Ty Montgomery, so he's getting uh, into the mix now too. But I think the bigger issue is not so much what the throwing means, uh, the passing game means for the, for the Ravens, but what it, what it means for the defense is they have to prepare for Lamar Jackson. No one's had to do that over the course of an entire game. And I think you can do exotic things to get him open, give him easy throws, and add in the element of the running game, but they haven't been able to do with Joe Flacco and sort of ease him into the process. They're four and five. They're third uh, behind two other teams for the final wild card spot. They got to make a move. And it might be rough going early on for a few weeks, Lamar Jackson. But we, like I said, we know what you have him do with Flacco. Why stay with Joe Flacco if he's not the uh, answer short term and, and certainly not long term? Yeah, the biggest thing for rookie quarterbacks is reps. You can only do so much in the classroom. You can only do so much in the practice field. You need to get out there and see live action, make the mistakes. In a, in a, in a year where it looks like you're making a head coaching change after, like let him cut his teeth. Let him get out there and uh, and start learning while you're out there. All right, so let's look at the NFL draft because it's never too early to do that. You start seeing some of these teams jockeying for the worst, you know, for the top overall pick, the Raiders, the Giants, although I think the Giants would have been better served if they've lost to the 49ers on Monday Night Football. But I think one thing that's kind of interesting is a couple things. One, Nick Bosa going number one. I'm curious to know if you think that his injury, this hernia injury, affects his status at all. Clearly you don't if you have him going number one overall. But I think it's also the combination of what's happened with his brother, Joey Bosa, having to deal with injuries. Like, is any are there any serious injury concerns that you have for Nick Bosa and maybe how it might be hereditary almost? Yeah, I was sort of thinking about that today when I heard that uh, Joey's practicing again for the Chargers, which is good news for, for uh, San Diego, Los Angeles, obviously. But the Nick Bosa injury is a core muscle injury. That's what Le'Veon Bell had back in March 2017. It was a six-week recovery. He came back and had 300-plus touches in, in his final year with the Steelers, it turns out. So I don't think the injury specific to, uh, to Nick is, is a concern for NFL teams. But when you watch him play, and you guys know this, he is a terror. And when you're the Raiders, I have him going first to the Raiders, and you give up Khalil Mack, the best pass rusher in football, and then you cut Bruce Irvin, your highest-paid defender a few weeks ago. You have eight total sacks on the year. You have to fix that position. And I think uh, Nick Bosa is clearly the front runner, even though he only played three college football games. He's not coming back. He'll be fully healed in time for the combine and his pro days. The teams can sort of kick the tires on him and make sure he's okay. But I feel like um, given the way he's played and his pedigree, 
aside from the, the, the injury concerns with Joey, he has to go first to the Raiders to fix that terrible, terrible pass rush. Um, why the Giants obviously passing on the quarterback last year? Um, you might have Justin Herbert coming out, and it, it might be a little bit of a reach. But why not fix that this year? What's the rationale behind that? You know what you got in Eli Manning, kind of like you were saying with the Flacco situation. Yeah, that's the thing. This class is nothing like last year's class, Raja, as you sort of pointed out. Uh, really strong class last year. Sam Darnold, Rosen, Maker, uh, Baker Mayfield. We talked about Lamar Jackson, uh, Josh Allen, and, and Buffalo. This year's class, we don't know if Herbert's coming out. He could return. His brother's going to be an incoming freshman. He may want to play with him. There's no rush financially for him to leave college. And when you watch him play, he does a lot of things really well, but there's some other things that leave you scratching your head. You have to go back to September 29th, the last time he had a, a, a game where he completed more than 56% of his passes. That's an issue if you're an NFL team looking for consistency. And if the Giants uh, have that number two pick, where I have, or number three pick where I have them now, do you want to take a chance on a guy a year after you missed on three guys when you took Saquon Barkley, or do you want to approach this in the free agency? And that's something they could do. Our buddy JLC talked about Derek Carr being a possible option for them, which raises all sorts of questions in terms of can Carr handle the pressure of New York City? Is he a fit? But other names like Teddy Bridgewater will be available. Joe Flacco could be available. These guys are all upgrades over Eli Manning, not to the extent you would have in a franchise quarterback like Rosen, for example. But I think if you're the Giants, you have to bolster that defense, which has not been very good. And then pray to God you can find someone in free agency or via trade and maybe hold on till next year's draft class, should that happen, uh, to work out for you in terms of finding your next franchise quarterback. Do you think there's any chance? Because I think, you know, have, you know, knowing a lot of GMs, knowing the way they think, they don't like to admit they were wrong. And clearly the plan was draft Saquon Barkley. We're going to boost up the offensive line. We're going to get Odell Beckham in place. And we believe that Eli has a couple more years left. Do you think there's any chance if they kind of get things going a little bit more positive at the end of the season that Dave Gettleman says, man, if I, that plan could still work, if I give Eli enough pieces around him that we could still win with him, like would that potentially be a scenario? Or do you think the Giants brass are going to say, nope, we need to move on from Eli? Uh, I almost had to turn my mic off to, to quit from laughing because I was actually having that same <laughs> thought watching Eli Manning against the 49ers thinking, eh, you know what? If you squint your eyes, he's not terrible. You could talk yourself into maybe coming back. The offensive line played a little better and Eli wasn't completely horrible. The problem is Eli couldn't throw the ball down the field, and that's not going to solve itself with another year uh, a year of football. He was short on Odo Beckham's throw that could have been an easy touchdown. He missed Saquon Barkley on a wheel route that could have been an easy touchdown. So you wonder, okay, are we just going to become a short and intermediate passing team, or do we want to throw the ball down the field? And obviously they want to do the latter. So you can try to go into next season with Eli Manning, but you know how this movie ends, and it ends with Giants fans uh, gnashing teeth and the rending garments and having no real answer at quarterback for another year. So I think you have to move forward away from Eli Manning. I don't know why he would want to come back and put up with all that nonsense, but he comes back every week and he shows up. He had a good game last week, but I just don't think that's going to be something we're going to see a lot of from Eli Manning, a lot of good football. So you just talked about it. I mean, obviously you, you talked about Justin Herbert and, and this not being the same class last as last year's quarterback class, but you got two more teams uh, that you would, in theory, think need a quarterback. And I don't know how many are available you know, on the open market in uh, the Broncos and the Jaguars, and both of them passing on quarterbacks, too, in the first 10. 
Yeah, I mean, I've had, I've, I've done, I do a mock draft every week, so I've had situations where they have addressed the, the, their quarterback situation. But Case Keenum will be in his second year of a thirty-six million dollar deal. Not easy to get out from out from under. And you wonder if John Elway is a little gun shy at this point because after Peyton Manning, he has swung and missed on a lot of quarterbacks when he's tried to fill that position. It hasn't gone well. Maybe he takes a step back and deep breath and tries to address the other positions that that have struggled on both sides of the ball and reevaluates because this isn't a strong class. Uh, the Jaguars. Here's the funny thing. Blake Bortles, we like to crush him, but his numbers are slightly up. Completion percentage, yards per attempt, passer rating, his touchdown interception ratio is slightly better than it was a year ago. So he's not the biggest issue in Jacksonville, which sounds like a weird thing to say. That defense is falling apart. There seems to be issues in the locker room. And again, if these teams don't want to overstretch for a quarterback in the top 10 picks, I have them going eight and nine, then you address other needs. With this, play, this draft is stacked with defensive linemen, stacked with secondary members. There's some good wide receivers. So there are other things you can address and then come back, reevaluate your quarterback situation through free agency or the draft or maybe look towards 2020. But it, you don't have to overreach uh, on a quarterback. Danny was sort of touching about how GMs like to overreact sometimes, and this would be a great situation not to overreact. I know, Ryan, but I hear you. But I, every year I look and I'm like, I didn't see that guy going that high. It always happens with the quarterback position. So you know somebody's going to reach. In your scenario, in your latest mock, you've got the Bucks taking Justin Herbert from Oregon. Does that mean that you think it's the end of the Jameis Winston era? Or do they keep Jameis around to help him groom a young quarterback? Is that the influence you want? Like I, All of that is kind of an interesting dynamic. What does that mean with uh, the Bucks taking a potential quarterback in the first? Well, you touched on GMs and coaches not liking to admit mistakes. Jameis Winston's a mistake, and you wonder if that means there's going to be some changes in the coaching in the front office. And if so, you would imagine the new regime would want to move on from Jameis. He's due that $20.9 million fifth-year option if they don't make a decision by March. I don't know how you could pay him $20 million a year to, to sit behind Ryan Fitzpatrick because Ryan Fitzpatrick is the better quarterback on that team. And I think that tells you all you need to know about how Jameis's career has gone. It used to be a conversation where he and Marcus Mariota, you never knew which one was better because they were both sort of feeling their way through the NFL. I think it's clear through this season that Marcus has been the better player. Jameis is going in the other direction. He's had the off-field issues. And if Justin Herbert comes out and you feel comfortable with him as the new coach and new GM, assuming that's what happens, roll the dice. Ten is not a, a, a very high draft pick to, to use on a quarterback that you have faith in, if in fact you do have faith in him. And there are a lot of things to like about Justin Herbert. There are questions, but every quarterback has questions coming out. So I, I think you know what you have in Jameis. He's not worth $20 million. This uh, organization is going in the wrong direction. The defense is actually well, uh, much worse than the offense. But you're not going to win with a franchise quarterback. So that's the decision the Bucks have to make. And I think before we even get to the quarterback conversation, they have to figure out what they're going to do with their coaching staff and their front office. Yeah, Ryan, I just full disclosure, a little behind the scenes. Our producer, Coca, in there, he's saying, defend your guy, defend your guy, Jameis. There's nothing to defend. That stats don't lie. Like, the product on the field doesn't lie. I do think it'll be interesting what his – market is what is what's his value on the open market if they do a go ahead and release him because you do feel like somebody would be like hey that's former number one overall pick maybe we can help you know give him a fresh start give him a fresh opportunity but because of the off the field stuff that's happened i think it's gonna be real hard i think it's gonna cost Jameis a ton of money no that's right and there are a lot of guys that, that like to do reclamation projects uh, immediately as you were talking hugh jackson came to mind the new uh assistant to regional manager out there in cincinnati uh, maybe he wants to take on someone like Jameis and, and get him right and be the guy that sits behind Andy Dalton for a few years. Uh, 
That's a, that's an option. Uh, John Gruden, he loves big arm quarterbacks. Would that be something he would be interested in? Uh, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but there are options for Jameis Winston. He was a first overall pick. He'll be able to find work. It's just a matter of whether he'll be able to parlay that, uh, to once again being a starting quarterback. He just hasn't played well enough to deserve that. And when you're sitting behind Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's 37 years old and, you know, he looks like he's 37 years old. You have to take a deep, deep, long look at yourself and figure out what's gone wrong and how can you fix it. All right. Good stuff, Ryan. Appreciate it. I'm sure we'll have you on a bunch more. Look forward to it because now with mock drafts, it's like 2.0, 3.0 until you're like to 157.0 because you have to keep updated. So much movement in the draft. So we appreciate it, man. Make sure you check them out at Ryan Wilson CBS on Twitter. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. All right. Let's get back with leftovers. Our boy Zion Williamson at Duke just continues to just wreak havoc on the uh, college basketball world. We're going to discuss that next. All right, man. Duke is tearing up the college basketball world, and our boy Zion Williamson is just throwing some serious dunks down. It really shouldn't be any surprise. He's doing this since like 7th or 8th grade, which has been Uh. on YouTube forever. But every one you see, it's like the Watch this one. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. this. The the height (laughs) Where he's up there, like he's one of those dudes that might be able to swipe something from the top of the backboard. Like it's insane how high he gets on the alley-oop. Like he uh. is a violent leaper and dunker. Like there are guys that jump that high and they dunk with like a, 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 a level of, of like, um, suaveness. Like it's a smooth dunk. This kid is violent. Everything he does is violent. It's so much fun to watch, and they're almost making Duke likable. Like, <laughs> like I can't stand Duke. I can't stand all these nerds that are kind of uptight. He's making them likable because it's fun to watch these dunks that he throws down. I remember when we first talked about him a couple weeks ago after their blowout win against Kentucky. I was like, who's a comp because you don't see anybody like him? The yeah. thing that I'm realizing and more people are saying is there isn't one. Like, there really isn't a guy that is similar to him. You know, I heard some guys this morning saying Blake Griffin was potentially, but I think he's better than Blake Griffin. And I think he like his dunks are clearly better. Like he does that better than anybody else. And I talked to Jay Billis, uh, you know, we, from ESPN, his college uh, college basketball analyst. He said two things. He said one, he said the same thing. He said, no, we haven't seen anybody like this. And then he dropped something, and I couldn't tell if he was being facetious and just making a point. But he said he had a 48 inch vertical. Have you ever heard of that? Like, is that or is that just like, oh, it's no. like just how over the top it is? Or do you think no, that no, could no, that's be- that? Yeah, no, that's what it's reported. And he and you, <laughs> when you see him bounce, like there, there's no question he's like, for you know what a forty looks like, right? Like a lot of guys jump forty. Like I jumped forty when I came out, but forty eight is what you see with him, where it looks like he's just jumping off a trampoline every time he leaves the floor. I have no question that he's upwards of forty six for sure. What do you think my vert was? Probably, uh, 34? <laughs> no, a little, 32. 32. Okay. So I was going to say 32, but I gave you the extra two. Yeah, you you're didn't my want boy. to insult me. Here's yeah. what you yeah, exactly. You didn't want to insult me. Here's the <laughs> thing. If they let me do the one-legged jump on the, like I hated the vertical jump because you had to do two feet. If they yeah. let me run up, I was like close to 38. If you could do, cause I could only dunk off of one leg jumping. I could oh. never jump off two legs. So that bothered me. Like I hated that because it made me look like, well, I can't jump that high. So it wasn't that <laughs> big of a big deal. But my two goals at the combine or when I like did my testing was I want to be over 30, which I could yeah. easily. And I wanted to be under five flat on the 40 yard dash. Like those were my two goals. And I had both of them because I crushed it. I actually ran a four, eight, three, 40, which I was Ooh. amazing. That was, I was awesome. And then I actually, they, they didn't believe the clock on the 40 when the scouts <laughs> were there. So I laid down a four, eight, three and they were like, 
and I, I started like taking off my shoes. I'm like, I, yeah. I got my goal. I didn't care. And Absolutely. they were like, no, 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 no. They're like, we need to see another one. So I went back out there and ran a four, seven, eight. So I was like, oh, that's what's up. Yeah. There you I was go. Like, Let's go. A little There's extra a, motivation. A football- yeah. So the, I think it's what's fun is like Zion. We've talked about LeBron, what he could do on an NFL team. I think Zion Williamson would absolutely dominate football. And there was actually an ex LSU tight end coach, Eric Mateos. He offered him a football scholarship. I say forget the football scholarship, like draft him if you're an NFL team. He is that freakish in nature, like that type of power, that type of explosiveness. You just don't see it. Yeah, there was a, there's a tight end. I think he caught a touchdown pass for somebody the other day. He had played at VCU. There are a few guys like that. There was a there was a kid at Baylor. I want to say his name was maybe Rico Gathers or something like that. I went to scout the Big Twelve tournament um, when I was with Cleveland. And, you know, in my report about Baylor, I wrote, like, this kid's playing the wrong sport. Like, he should be playing football somewhere. There are guys on basketball courts because of the, you know, the, just the, the, the speed with which you've got to move, the ability to, like, cut. I mean, you're talking about, you know, some of those positions on a football field. Like, your, your agility with that size becomes paramount. And then hands, like basketball players, you have to have hands. Uh, there are some really, really good, like, prototypical type tight ends and defensive ends running around basketball courts for sure. And I agree with you on Zion. Could probably be fantastic on a football field. Do you think his dunks are going to overshadow his game? Like, because I, I look at that and, like, that's all we're seeing is his dunks, and they're awesome, and that's what people want to see. And, like, just looking at the stats, he's got six dunks Wednesday, you know, and increased his total to ten in three games. Like, we're talking about his dunking when – if you want to get to the next level and be considered as one of the top prospects, don't you think you have to expand more than that? And I almost wonder, like, is that a negative thing for him that all we're talking about is his dunking when he's actually a pretty good player? He had 21 last night and he was 10 of 12 from the field. Well, I don't think it's negative because anytime you're talking about, like, you're talking Duke basketball and the only thing you're talking about is Zion, it really doesn't matter unless it's a negative like, cause he's punching people in the face. As long as you're talking about his game and his domination, like, I don't know that the dunks are that big of a distraction. They, they actually brought me to the TV to try to see him. And then once I was at the TV, I was like, oh, he does more than dunk. Because he actually can, you know, he's got a little one-two, get by you, get to the lane. He finishes not everything he's finished, uh, this year is dunks and he's shooting up. I mean, I don't have the numbers, but his percentages are off the charts. Um, I saw him shoot a couple three balls. He's got decent vision. He passes the ball pretty well. And so, you know, again, I think Zion is a better college basketball player than R.J. Barrett. I think R.J. Barrett is a better basketball player than Zion Williamson, if that makes any sense. I think R.J. Right. will eventually be the better pro, but I think Zion is going to be the better player at Duke this year. And if I'm being honest, I think Zion's going to be a better pro than I had given him credit for being able to be coming into the season because he's got more to his game than I thought he did. It will be very interesting, though, for me to see him dropped into – uh, a level of play where you're not the biggest, strongest, most freaky athlete on the court um, every time you touch the court. Or maybe he will be at the NBA level. Maybe he's that gifted an athlete where this translates. Like, I don't know. It's going to be fascinating. All right, so we got a Thursday night football game, Packers at Seahawks. Quickly want to hit on it. Seahawks are a three-point favorite. Give a little bonus pick since I can't do my pick six on Friday, which we usually do. Uh, I'm going to say the Seahawks cover because I think the Packers are a mess. I know they've won a couple games back-to-back, but I think the Seahawks playing at home, that's just such a home-field advantage. I think Aaron Rodgers is still bothered by his knee, too. Are you fading me or are you going with me on this one? Um, I'm going to f- I'm gonna take it. I'm going to go with you. Yeah. I'm going to ride with you. Yeah. I like the Seahawks. Who needs it more, Packers or Seahawks? Um, I would say probably the Packers, they have a worse record. It's not like either one of them can afford to lose. You have the Packers sitting at 4-4-1, four, four, and one, and you have the Seahawks sitting at 4-5. and five. 
But I think with the fact that the the, uh, the NFC West is kind of falling apart with the Cardinals and 49ers, the Seahawks could have an outside chance at that wild card spot. I just I think if you're the, if you're the Packers, you want them to lose so you can clear out Mike McCarthy and the coaching staff. That's your best case scenario. So Donald, want you to root against your team, but root against your team. 